thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Neil Clifford, who's been CEO of British footwear and accessories brand Kurt Geiger for the past 20 years. Armed with a fresh round of funding, Kurt Geiger has big expansion plans that include opening dozens of international stores and rolling out new product categories. I wanted to ask Neil about his plans to win over the American consumer, which include opening 20 to 30 stores in the States over the next five years. I'm also interested in how the brand is navigating its positioning in the market at a time when mid-priced companies are often squeezed. Welcome, Neil. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Tell me, Kirk Geiger, you consider it a luxury brand. Yes? Tell me about your positioning in the market. Well, we don't like the word luxury. We, we, we focus, I mean, it's complimentary if people think we are, and that's wonderful, but we focus on design. We spend hours every day talking about product, and we spend hours every day talking about great value. And we hope that that formula transpires into something super desirable and super differentiating and uh, disrupting a little bit because we like to disrupt as, as, as Brits, you know, we're, we're anarchy is in our blood. (laughs) So we, we, that, that's really, I'll leave it to everyone else to judge where we're positioned. I like it. Are you feeling a squeeze? We talk on our site in our stories about the luxury boom. Now that's slowing down, of course. And, um, fast fashion, people are pinching their pennies, um, moving high, moving low if they can't go high, I would say. Are you feeling a squeeze? No, we're not. We'll have a, we'll have a record year this year. Amazing. So we're, we're, we're feeling, again, in a very British way, we, we don't like to talk about ourselves or our successes. We're sort of embarrassed about that sometimes. We should learn from Americans, I think, um, a little bit more. But, but no, we're, we'll ha- we're having a great year. Yeah. Okay, great. What do you owe that to? Um, your designs are fabulous. Um, are you investing more in marketing or trying some new strategies? What's been driving that growth? We are investing in marketing. Our marketing has doubled um, from two years ago. Of course, we all had the pandemic to navigate, and maybe we'll touch a little bit on that. But yes, marketing in 23 is almost double 22 and 22 was double 21. So yes, we are spending money on marketing, but um, marketing to me is always a little bit unclear on how you get your bang for your buck. We do spend more time spending effort around creativity and things we can control. And that is about product really. And how, and how we look. I think we, we, we spend a lot of time how we look, whether that's physically, um, digitally, uh, how we're presented in stores. So yes, we, we, we're, very, we're a very visual company, let's say. You know, we're, we're all like, like me, actually. We're all a bit dyslexic. We don't read much, but we've got very good eyes. Yes, I like it. We'll talk about how you're presented in stores and where you're presented in stores. What's your current physical footprint? Well, in, from, from a North America perspective, which, you know, now, which I'm super proud to say, is our number one market globally. We're, we are bigger in North America than we are in the United Kingdom. Now, I, I'm a little bit of a glass half empty guy. 
that that frustrates me a little bit that it, the company's 60 years old this year. I'm not 60, thank God. I mean, I'm getting closer to it every year, but I'm not I'm not 60. I wasn't born when Kurt Geiger opened his first store on Bond Street in 63. But it, it's, it, it took us 50 years to work out that maybe North America would be a, a great place to investigate, I suppose. And it took us five years to think about how we do that. And then it was only five years ago that we recruited an amazing American, actually. I think I have to take my hat off. It's probably the best thing I've ever done is, is managed to persuade an amazing individual called Stephen Souza to join us. And we had the ambition, we had the energy, we had the, the drive, we had the business plan, we had the desires, but we didn't have the instruction manual. We didn't really know how to do it and therefore we were a little bit scared. And it, it took an American to help us on that journey and hold our hand a little bit. And now in the last five years, so 10% of the company's history in five years out of, well, it's less than 10%, isn't it? 9%. It's taken us only five years to find out that America loves us, North American consumers love us, and now we're, the, we're bigger there than we are in the United Kingdom. Isn't that wild? Is so that, tell me a little that bit. was a bit of a long story, but yeah, it is wild. It's crazy. I'm, I, I, it makes me feel younger, frankly. So much growth to be done. Um, tell me about the, the importance of Stephen Souza. He, I think that Zofia and our team reported that he, formerly of Michael Kors, he's got this amazing background. Um, he's a big driver, yeah? And it, was it more about getting you, you mentioned in our pre-chat, um, some stores like Dillard's and Bloomingdale's and, and Nordstrom. Was it about getting the right retail partners and growing the online channel, would you say it's a combination more of one than the other? Well, it was the strategy. It was the, it was the strategy. We had the product and creativity. The reason why Stephen joined us, and we knew Stephen for many years because, you know, he was living here in Europe, running, running Michael Kors in, in Europe. We knew him, um, we knew him anyway. And he, he was very intrigued about our brand because we do something different. We we design different things. I think it's a British thing that we're a little bit mad and we, we love adore colour and we love um, being expressive with our with our product creation. I think it's a London thing. London, you know, I adore New York, I adore LA. I've actually fallen in love with San Diego. But, you know, London is a really wonderful place where you can be anything, you can look like anything, you can be anyone you like, and no one else cares. And I think that is expressed in our product. So Stephen was deeply curious about what the Kurt Geiger brand was and what it could be, and he brought along his brains that as a cocktail with our creativity has been a wonderful sandwich of success. <laughs> sandwich of success. That's the title of this podcast. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me, we've always talked about London Fashion Week as being this like hub of creativity. It's definitely bolder, louder, more fun, more colorful. Mm. Um, definitely has that reputation. What, why is the, uh, a more, I guess, fun or playful or uh, adventurous 
look, feel? Why do you think that's resonating with the American consumer? Or have you kind of tweaked the no, vibe no, for we, the market? No, we definitely haven't tweaked it. I think that was the critical thing that we didn't do. Often in life, it's the things you don't do are the most important. And maybe if maybe on our own without Stephen's advice, maybe we would have done that because we thought, oh, maybe we we need to tone down the colours. We need to be a little bit less expressive. All of, you know, every shoe and handbag we see in North America is a certain way and we need to be a bit more like that. The fact that we didn't do that and we took the pure version of Kurt Geiger, the um, condensed milk version of Kurt Geiger, and we brought it in its entirety to our new showroom that we opened in New York five years ago. I think that was our success, actually, because we we are different. You know, there are many wonderful brands out there, and we admire them all. But I think you've got to you've got to be yourself, and that's very that's very British. You know, we're much better. Um, at creativity and fun and joy than we are sometimes in making money and business strategies. Um, but look at but look at how many brands around the world have British creative directors. That's not it's not a that's not a coincidence. Well, on that note, a bit you're growing a company based in the UK. Um, again, I keep referring to Zofia because she's there, um, our international reporter. She's been talking a lot about the um, British Fashion Council and um, the support that they're providing local companies and provi- and designers or um, that they're trying for, and also like the impact of Brexit. And there, it's a it's hard, harder. Do you think that, would you say it's become harder um, to operate there or does it have to do with your former operations in in Europe? You would, if you had a large, I don't, tell me about the challenges. Well, I, there's, a, there's a rule in life that you don't talk politics and religion. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but I would say Brexit was, for me personally, a negative. So I wouldn't, I'm, I'm, I'm not say, saying, no, it's fine. There's no drama. Please ignore it. But it's a, it's it's not an it's not an absolute critical thing, you know. It's not it's 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 unfortunate, but many things come along in life that are little bumps in the road. I think we we don't spend any time thinking about that or worrying about that, you know. What we what we really intensely do is try to understand our girl and our boy because we're now developing a whole strategy on on for our boy and our our men's shoes and our accessories is what does she really want? What does he really want? What can we, what can we provide that is just joyful, positive, energizing, different, it's going to change the way you feel when you put that handbag on your shoulder or put that shoe on your foot. And it's, it's, we're quite an emotional brand and we like to change change people's emotions for the positive when you put something of ours on your body somebody from jimmy choo is leading the men's yeah sam Sam, yeah sam joined us 12 months ago from jimmy choo and you know men's shoes if you ask me the question of you know what can you do better or, or you know i certainly reflect on my own um on my little to do list in my, on my phone you know what do i need to do better uh, men men's things are one of those things and it's a it's a 
It's a personal crusade of mine. You know, men are 50% of the world. And we've all, we've both got two feet too. And why can't we provide some amazing accessories and footwear for men? So we've got a big strategy on that. And that's going to be unveiled in November. Can't wait. Are we moving on from sneakers? Will there be a heavy focus on sneakers? Are loafers where it's at? (laughs) Loafers are back. It's true to say loafers are back, but it's not just about footwear. It's about men's accessories. It's about briefcases. It's about wonderful backpacks, overnight bags. We like to have fun also. There'll be some prizes in there. You know, one of our our best-selling holiday handbags of last year with our, with, with our, partners in America was a wine glass handbag where you where it was a wine glass but it was also a handbag so you could take your because we love to our pub culture is you know is is such a wonderful place and often people want to stand outside and have a have a cigarette and drink a glass of wine and why not make it into a handbag so we we and it sold out in 10 days so we will have some fun with with uh, men as well as we do with women too. So fun, these novelty bags. We just had um, Edie Parker, founder. Oh, Brett Heyman on talking about her lighter bag. Anyway, people, they're selling like hotcakes. Tell me about, I I initially think of you as a footwear brand, but I know that handbags are booming in the States. Uh, What's the breakdown of your categories and introducing clothes, introducing all the things? Well, let me tell you, because it's another thing that I'm super proud of for what my team have created. We are now 55% handbags as a company. Yeah, so handbags, which, of course, has been an overnight success and has taken us 10 years. Um, but now we, we, we sell as many handbags as we do shoes. And yes, the company for 55 or 53 years was a shoe company. And uh, we're very proud of that. And we love shoes. And we've done an amazing job in sneakers, an amazing job in summer. And we've got a lot of new ideas. And so please don't think I'm ignoring footwear because we adore it. But, you know, handbags, we found a, a, a wonderful vibe in price and design that has been a true uh, mind-boggling success. We're three years ahead of where we thought we were going to be. But then on top of that, we have an amazing jewellery line. We have an amazing new sunglass collection coming in November. Um, we have s- swimwear that's basically sold out in North America in three weeks. So we think our brand, without sounding too overconfident, we think our brand, which is all about colour and joyful, energetic, maximalism, creativity has an elasticity to it that is boundless. You know, you're only as good as your ideas and your energy and maybe a bit of luck sprinkled on top, aren't you? You know, no company deserves to survive or succeed. Um, So you have to be really paranoid and insecure about your creativity and making sure every day is a little bit better than yesterday. I like it. And you're also in the home category. Is that growing? Is that budding? We are. Yeah, we're in we're in home. We're in I mean, our our warm weather hats and scarves and gloves, which are, you know, that is an amazingly fun category for us where we can really express ourselves and have some have. You know, the Brits are very good at humor. 
So, so are the Americans. I think if we were in the, the Humor World Cup final, us two would be in it, wouldn't we? Uh, the, same, <laughs> yeah. the same as, uh, I don't know, let's say music, I would think. But we love to have fun. You know, when, when we're, we're creating joy for our customers, right? And they, I think for, we've all got enough pairs of shoes or handbags, haven't we? They'll all look quite similar in our wardrobe. So you, if you're going to commit yourself to spend some money, you've got to really bring something new back in the Kurt Geiger bag. And that's what we try to do. And, and, and that brings a smile to your face. Yeah, if that, if that If that makes sense. We could all use more of this in Q1, the stores that you're opening. Uh, is that when they're coming? Am I, do I have the, the timeline correct um, in the States? That's right. Yes. Yeah. I can, expe- I can expect that we will see this full Kurt Geiger lifestyle, bag, shoes, home, like all the things. Like what, what will the stores be like if you can share oh, anything? Well, they're a little secret at the moment, but we're, we're opening a new flagship store in London in the middle of September. And we've put a lot of energy into that to make sure it's visually immensely stunning. I think my reference of everything we do here is about what we look like and our eyes. Our eyes are very important at our company. Less so, you know, our right brain, to be successful, you have to have both sides of your brain. You know, the spreadsheets are important, but spreadsheets don't tell you what to do, do they? Um, your your eyes tell you what to do and your customers tell you what to do. So the store will look visually really quite amazing. You want you, you it will stop people as they walk past and that that will yes, that will arrive in 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 uh, Florida in Q1 and will arrive in Southern California in Q1 and probably New York somewhere too. Compared to the US, I don't know. I've been to London, Selfridges, and it's just like, it's kind of next level to me in the UK. Sorry, locals. <laughs> it's great. Have you, have you, do you have experience setting up shop and shops at the level that you're, you're considering for your flagship? Yes, we do. We do. And we have 70 stores in the UK, Niger stores. And we have stores in the, in the Middle East. Actually, our number one store in the, in the, in globally is in uh, Dubai. It's a it's a our highest sales per square foot, our highest sale sales densities. Um, so we know, yeah, we know what to do in terms of store operations. Um, we have a lot of shopping shops now in North America with both Nordstrom, with uh, Bloomingdale's, with Dillard's. We're in four hundred locations across North America with our, you know, with our wonderful three partners. You know, we love stores. Don't think I ignore digital. I'm not sort of a, 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 a hopefully not completely old fashioned sort of dinosaur. Thirty um, percent of our company sales is in digital, but we love stores. We love department stores, and we love. There's nothing better than presenting your brand physically to your consumers' eyes. I don't think, and delivering wonderful service and presenting your brand in the right way. And I think. Our, our, um, without, without our three partners, Dillard's, Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom, we would be nowhere. So we, we are so thankful for their help and support. And actually they say to us, it would be really wonderful if you also had some amazing physical locations in North America too, just to present your brand in a big way. Because 
Our success has been around our product design and our pricing, not really our brand awareness. Our brand awareness, and we, we look at the little Google graph every week and we, you know, it's going up in the right direction, but it's nowhere near where it should be. You know, the other point I'd say on stores, our first three stores in North America will actually be in Mexico. We open those in October. Oh, wow. And why, why Mexico? Well, we have an amazing partner there um, who we operate with already. And we're so successful um, with El Palacio. We're one of their biggest handbag and shoe brands already that they came to us and said, would you consider opening uh, physical standalone stores because your demand is incredible? And we were very flattered by that. We, we, you know, I, I was recently in Mexico City. By the way, what an amazing place. You know, it's sort of Los Angeles meets Paris um, with a bit of Morocco sprinkled in, isn't it? Beautiful. Oh, fabulous. Colourful. Um, green, beautiful parks. Um, I'm going back in October to open our first store in Mexico City. So yes, Mexico City will be our first North American store in October. That's so interesting to me that department stores, retailers are are requesting that or suggesting that um, because we hear from brands a lot that if the in-store shopper also shops online, they're the most valuable customer because they hit all the channels. Um, maybe the same applies if they're shopping the retailer, they're shopping the brand store, they're shopping your online. I, I don't know. Like, do you know, is there any sexy data around, <laughs> around those who shop in-store also uh, shop more in line for your brand. We know that when we open a physical store, our online sales in that geographic region grow by 30%. Do you guys talk omnichannel and all of that? Do you hate that word? We don't use that word much because it's sort of like it's your job, right? You've got to understand your customer. You've got to make it super easy for her or him, of course. And you, it's got to be a smooth um, connection between store and digital and department store and wholesale. And of course, all of those. But that's, that's what we do, isn't it? That's our, that's our job. It's what we wake up at 4.47 in the morning is the time I wake up every morning. And it's the first thing you think about is how can you do your job better? And part of that is your channel mix, isn't it? And your service. For sure. Tell me about Beyond Stores, how you're building awareness in the US market. We've got a very chunky, big marketing budget for next year, um, which I hope we actually don't have to spend it all, but I'm sure we will. I think our awareness has been super helped by our department store partners. We wouldn't have done it without them and that will continue. We're growing our physical spaces. We're growing our categories. We're building in-store spaces to represent our brand in the right way. We've got a huge amount of celebrity following from a brand perspective that I'm sure you know, whether it be Rita Ora or Rebel Wilson or even Longoria or or um, well, visit our web visit our visit our website, and you can see our celebrity following. So we've got all the normal strategies of marketing, but fundamentally, it's about the stores that you're in. In the are you in the right places? Is your price point correct? And what does your product look like? And what is the quality of your product? And honestly, I hope I don't sound too simplistic, but 
you, it starts and ends with product design. Tell me where your production is happening and is sustainability and, and um, transparency something that your customer is demanding and something that um, you're pushing out more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of our production is in Asia and uh, we, we make men's shoes in Portugal. We make women's shoes in Spain. We, you know, we, we've got a lot of thought going into how can we bring our supply chains quicker, closer to market. We've got an investigation going on now in footwear in Brazil, but actually we've got amazing suppliers in China that from a quality and value relationship, we've worked with them for many, many years. Um, we're, we're highly appreciative of that contribution and that probably will continue. Tell me about the ownership. Who owns the brand? And this is, you've been around. This has changed hands a couple of times, yeah? <laughs> I haven't been around. I've just been here. <laughs> people come people come and go, but the management team, you know, it's a little bit like one flow of the cuckoo's nest, Kurt Geiger. You're, you're allowed to leave, but we haven't left yet. You know, we love, <laughs> we love our jobs. And uh, we, we as a management team have been together more than 20 years, actually. And uh, and yes, we became independent uh, July fourth, actually Independence Day, believe it or not, uh, two thousand five. The company was owned by Harrods. Actually, we were part of the Harrods Group, and we 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 became independent, supported by private equity, uh, Barclays private equity. In uh, how long ago is that? You know, that's almost uh, twenty years ago now. And yes. Private equity companies, you know what, but I'd say one thing about private equity, and I could do a whole podcast on private equity if you want. Um, we, so ad we adore it because I, being surrounded by smart people is really, really helpful. It's underrated. I mean, Sinvan, for example, our current owners have been immensely supportive through quite difficult times in the pandemic. You know, the UK had a terrible long lockdown, almost 270 days where your retail stores were closed. And they gave us the confidence that it's going to be okay. Don't, don't, don't waste a good crisis. What are the things that you wanted to do, but you couldn't because you always wanted to grow the EBITDA? And, you know, the, the history, uh, I'll sound a little bit sort of, uh, a little bit sort of techy, but you know, our EBITDA when we bought the company in 2005 was 4 million. So we went 4, 5, 8, 10, 12, 15, 18, 20, 20. We had one year of no growth 23, 25, 28, 30, 32, 35, 38, 41. Right? That's the history. Oh, wow. That's the history of the company under private equity. And, and then, then we went 41, which was 2019, six, right? Ah, and then so yeah. at that point, at that point when, you know, we gave away a one and a half million pounds worth of our products to the, the local NHS, we did a massive amount of work. We supported all of our staff topping up their salaries and furlough. That's why in the end we created our Kurt Geiger Foundation because we wanted to bring kindness into the middle of the company. But at that point, Sinvan said, look, if you need money, don't worry, we'll give you money. The company's going to be fine. Do all the things you wanted to do, which was closing poor distribution, um, changing promotional stance to some degree, 
reinventing our physical locations and our store design, cutting back areas that were not needed. So actually, it's hard to admit really because the pandemic was so difficult, but the company is in a much better place because of the pandemic. And I wouldn't want to repeat it, of course, but I'm not so sure we would have done all the things that we did um, without Sinvin's support. So we we adore private equity. It's a place where you're learning every day and you're surrounded by cleverer people. That's fantastic. So profitable company, no need for fundraising. Like, how would you describe all of more fundraising? How would you describe all of that? Um, we will have a record year this year in, in profitability. Uh, we will, yeah, so the, the company's never been fitter. You know, we, we've been we've been only eating protein and spinach for 12 months and we've been in the gym every day for one and a half hours and we're taking our, you know, we're getting eight hours of sleep. We're doing everything that Arnie tells you to do on the podcast. So we're we're in a very good place. Good for you. Well, working with smart people matters. You're obviously making the right hires to lead the men's business, to lead the U.S. expansion. Uh, I know you also have this amazing talent development yes. program that's happening. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, I'd love to. It's my. It's my, it's it's the thing. I can honestly, I can talk for an hour on this. We post pandemic and when we created our foundation and our charity and we put about one and a half million pounds into our. Um, Kurt Geiger Foundation, and it's all about supporting young people and their creative ambitions because we've all got a little story about our lives, haven't we? Our mind was, I'm dyslexic, I got no qualifications at school, I left school at 16, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And retail is often a place where you go before you know what you want to do, but you want to meet your people. You want to get away from your mum and dad or whatever. You want to meet some cool people and you need some money. And therefore, that industry that we are all in, and it's broadly the creative industry, isn't it, is the biggest private employer in our countries. And therefore, there are millions of young people that could just do with a little more help, whether it be confidence, whether it be contacts, whether it be relationship, whether it be building up their CVs. So the Kurt Geiger Business Academy, where we're launching that in October, will have 60, 60 for the 60 years of the company, 60 wonderful young people that need some help. And you think about a retail company, it's an almost, a, it's, it's, a, it's a stock exchange on its own. We have sales, finance, IT, marketing, design, creativity, technology. We've got all the skills in our company. There's 300 people in this building that would be desperately keen to help and support and give some young, because we were all young once, to give some young people some skills, some natural skills. I don't think we can expect governments to do everything. Uh, sometimes in the UK, we want our governments to do everything. Governments can't and they don't have the money and maybe they're not looking in the right direction, frankly, from an education perspective. So I think we're trying to do our bit. And I think post-pandemic, I think entrepreneurship, commerciality, profitability, 
merged with community and people and human interaction, they all became one a little bit. I don't think you can be a bad company anymore because I think customers will, will, will sniff you out. You have to do some good things. For sure. I did not know your success story. I love this about coming out of school at 16. What were you doing prior to Kurt Geiger? I was basically at school. No, that's not yeah. true. I'm not that young. <laughs> I, I, no, no if, if you want a 30-second version, I, I left school at 16. I started as a suit salesman in a small town called Portsmouth in the south of England. And I discovered that even though I had no qualifications, I was really good at talking. And I love dressing up and wouldn't it be wonderful? And you realize that actually talking to people and being nice, you can earn money. And then I had a wonderful career with the Burton Group for 20 years and was very successful and lucky and store manager of the year and won all these awards and everything. And then I traveled the world for two years with my now wife. That was in 2000, that was in 93, 94. And I came back in 95 and got the job at Kurt Geiger. And I haven't left. <laughs> you fell in love. I love this. And I gotta ask last question. I know you were running out of time, okay. but the um I love the the collaboration. I'm such a Matthew Williamson uh, oh, fan. Wow. Like such a fan. Um bringing outside designers, creatives to to build collections with you. Is that gonna be a go-to strategy? No, it's a very good thank you for reminding me about that, because I'd be killed if I hadn't mentioned it. Um Every every year we do a couple of collaborations and it's really about just creating newness, creating the unexpected in our stores and we deliver new product the whole time. So, we, you know, we want everyone, every time they get paid to visit the Kurt Geiger store and they see something new, but also bringing, bringing exterior creativity is a wonderful thing. And, you know, collaborations are obviously, you know, sort of cool anyway and bring the unexpected. And we fell in love with Matthew, our creative director, Rebecca, has uh, holidays in Mallorca. He lives in Mallorca. And you know what? Anything about places that have a blue sky, we love. We don't often have blue skies in London. I think that's why we're very jealous of places that have blue sky. And we, we create product for blue sky places. And that's why if you plot our map in North America and you looked at where the sky is often blue, that's where we are successful. That's so interesting. You're talking about all these exotic locations and you promised me, you didn't really promise that you're going to come to St. Louis. Tell me about how everybody is able to, uh, I don't know, explore are you working from the office is just being in and out part of part of the the company well i adore north america in fact i might do a job swap with Stephen. Stephen can be the ceo and i'm just going to go and run north america I, I ever since i went there in 93 the first time i bought a car in san francisco and drove to denver and then went all the way around for four months and slept in this car i think it's such a wonderful country we're always a bit critical of our own countries right and but you know you, you should be so proud of what the united states is because it's you know that american dream is still i think very real everyone's curious everyone's interested everyone's an entrepreneur everyone's fascinated everyone wants to learn and i think that's what i adore most about north america plus the nature i think it's such a vast country 
Um, you can do everything. You can do every type of holiday. You can drive. I'm a driver. I love cars. You know, I was actually pleased I missed my flight between Little Rock, Arkansas and Dallas about two months ago because it meant I could drive from Dallas to Little Rock, Arkansas through Texicana, which I didn't know was a place. I thought it was an REM song. <laughs> so, um, yeah, any any excuse for me to zoom around North America, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. For sure. Oh, my gosh. Well, you might we might have to keep you here. You, you tend to stay a while when you... <laughs> when you like a plane. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh my gosh. Well, Neil, this was so enjoyable. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It was great. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.